but we're so busy going forward, 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 trying to tick those things off our to-do list. Uh, and I think the way that you really develop your expertise and develop your knowledge is to have, you know, is to be focused and then also have time for reflection. Hi, my name is Vinay Nair and welcome to Reclaim Social, a podcast powered by Lightful. Reclaim Social started as a campaign in 2018 with an idea where we thought, what if we could make social media more positive? Since then, we've reached tens of millions of people, and this is just the beginning. On the Reclaim Social podcast, we talk to inspiring people who make the social media world more positive, one post at a time. So let's go. It's time to Reclaim Social. Hello everyone and welcome to the second season of the Reclaim Social Podcast. I can't believe we've actually finished the first season and we had so many amazing guests and we're actually very excited about our brand new guest. So welcome Beth Kanter, we're really happy to have you with us today. So thrilled to be here. And also I'm having a new co-host today, we've got Carlos Miranda with us and I'm actually excited for that. Well thank you very much for having me on, I'm honored, it's been, it's taken an entire season for, <laughs> for you guys to allow me to be on, so I'm, I, I really am very honored and I feel privileged, thank you. It's finally happening. It's ha- and... finally happening. <laughs> so Beth, I uh, would actually love to know more about yourself for those who actually don't know much and I'm pretty sure everyone knows about you, but tell us a bit about yourself, for example, how would you present yourself? in a minute. So uh, people say, introduce me as nonprofit thought leader, master trainer, speaker, and author. And um, I like to think of myself as a digital uh, pioneer. I've been um, doing work on, on the internet and nonprofits for, for decades. And um, and the topics I like to look at, uh, they're, they're always evolving. So I would put them into bu- buckets. Um, I'm going to steal one from Carlos, digital resilience, <laughs> so which is about strategy, digital transformation. And then personal and organizational resilience, which relates to my book, The Happy Healthy Nonprofit. Beth, tell us one thing that we don't know about you. Okay, I love fountain pens. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that, but yeah. not everyone knows Yeah, that. exactly. Uh, but you probably don't know how many I own. Oh, no, we don't. How many do you own? I'm not sure I want to share that. <laughs> yes, you do. Come on. Do we have to have an intervention? Is that how high the number is? Well, here, here's the thing. Um, I, w- I was in Italy recently at the fundraising conference, and I, I got a chance to go to Verona and to this famous pen shop, and yeah. I went in, and the owner who had been there... Uh, he was like 80, yeah. and he owned the pen shop. And I walked in, and I said, I love pens. And he, um, and he says, I love pens, too. And I said, I buy too many pens, and I have to sneak them in the house yeah. so my husband doesn't see. And he says, oh, you so get me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not telling you how many pens is I it more? Is it more than a 1,000? No. Okay, it's all right. Approaching. It's well, approaching. It's uh, approaching. Well, let's say pens in general, fountain pens, no. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Interesting. So kind of let's let's dive right in and let's talk about your work. You've had an amazing career, and it is amazing. I always get, you know, we've known each other now for a long time, and it's always amazing when you hear talk, when you talk about how long you've been doing this, because I think that you have been a pioneer, and you've been doing this for far longer. And I think one of the things that makes you stand out is the fact that you've that you really recognize the potential for digital and the nonprofit space far earlier than a lot of people. Yeah. So we'd love to get started and we'd love to talk to you about your work. So as I said, you were among the kind of the early adopters of social networks. What do you remember kind of most from the early days of social media? What sticks out in your mind? Okay, two things. Okay, so if we go back really early, and I'm talking about 1990, I was a community manager for an online network called ArtsWire. 
and this was uh, just as the web was breaking, but it was really a text-based mm. online community, thousands of nonprofits that were trying to get on it. And I remember I was working with a virtual team, and back then nobody was working with virtual teams, and I remember that I worked with five other people, but I had never met them face-to-face, -face. and so I had developed a mental model of what they looked like, and when we actually had our first staff retreat, and met them in person, they look nothing like I've imagined them. And it took me a whole year to reimagine them while we were uh, communicating online. And the other thing, I, I'm all, I'll go back maybe to 2006 when I first got on Twitter, a couple months after it was started, and I just remember how much of a community it was. Um, it was smaller, and that you could really, like, people helped each other out, and it was kind of like, uh, you know, you know, it wasn't so much information, not a lot of bad stuff, and it just had a really good feel. And it's crazy to actually think that it's been 14 years now that you say 2006, ever since you joined Twitter, and how things have really changed since then. It sure has. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of the nonprofits and how they use social media, how do you think this changed actually? We are actually in 2020, and how do you think that these strategies and the evolution of social media has affected them? Um, well, the, the first thing I think way back, it, it was like hit or miss, and it wasn't like it was optional not to be on social media, if you can believe that. Um, and so it wasn't really treated seriously or with um, a strategy or a sense of a level of professionalism. And that has, I think, really evolved over the last uh, 15 years that we now have social media professionals and a whole kind of field for them and um, professional practices. And thinking ahead and I know that you always as a pioneer you love exploring the new trends and what's next how would you see the future of social media let's say in a few years time okay so thinking ahead uh, in a few years time the next thing that's on the horizon of course is the age of automation mm -hmm. artificial intelligence and I think this will accelerate the power of networks and social media uh, because it's going to automate a lot of tasks and it's also going to uh, give us the ability to analyze more data which will then we can apply to our strategies and, and scale more. So, um, so, so it's, we're gonna be able to have more impact and more scaling if we do it correctly. <laughs> let, let me, you, you mentioned AI and automation. Mm -hmm. Let me just, if I can jump around for one second and just dig a little bit deeper on that. Okay. If, you know, especially small, smaller to medium-sized nonprofits, and it's the same for smaller to medium-sized yeah. businesses, by the way, but obviously we're here talking about nonprofits, AI, automation, it seems kind of scary, right? How how do you see, I mean, maybe not even right now, but in the next two, three years, a small, medium-sized nonprofit using automation? You know, you talk about feeding its strategy, but can you bring that, can you, come, can you, can you bring that to life a little bit more? How does a small nonprofit, medium-sized nonprofit, in two, three years' time use AI automation? Right, okay, so there's gonna be two tracks to this, okay? So the first track is kind of be, to be educated because it's gonna have major implications um, because AI is gonna be, is being used in all, in, across all industries and we interact with AI and we may not even know it. So it behooves us to be educated consumers of it, um, especially when it uh, relates to kind of our, our data um, and what's being done with it. Um, and, um, and I think of that, I paint this scenario <laughs> like even further, if, if AI can kind of like help us really customize and personalize our uh, marketing um, and get the right information in the right way uh, at the right time to people so that they will, on the consumer end, so they buy the products. If we're not keeping up with that, like what happens if uh, the for-profit side gets so good at that that people spend all of their disposable money on products because smart marketers have really leveraged artificial intelligence and not enough is left you know, for 
you know, donations mm-hmm. and kind of spending on social good. So that's like one kind of scary mm-hmm. scenario about it. So it beho- behooves us really to become educated around that um, so that we're not left behind. Um, on the other hand, something could happen where uh, just at a high level of economics, like let's say good actors <laughs> get a hold of the economic system mm-hmm. and they're using artificial intelligence and they make it nobody needs to have a profit so it's not concentrated in a few wealthy individuals and that everybody you know has access to equitable income and what does that do that kind of gets rid of philanthropy and and creates a a lot of great opportunities for nonprofits that's at the 10,000 foot level many years into the future okay but let's go back a little bit just a few years and and think about that small nonprofit and what's going to happen they're going to be accessing it through platforms and tools that make it accessible to them and with every single technology shift that i have seen there's been where it's not it's it's not yet democratized it's very expensive it's not well thought out you have to have a lot of expertise and then eventually it becomes democratized so that everybody can use it and that's going to happen you mentioned beth that as consumers now and as people we may not necessarily be aware of the impact of AI. Just as a little bit of a tangent, and just because I feel like a lot of people might be interested, what does that mean? How are we interacting right now with AI in a way that we don't know? Well, I mean, or we may know, um, Mm -hmm. when you go onto Amazon, or you go onto Netflix, or even on Facebook and look at the algorithms, that is artificial intelligence because it's going through large swaths of data, analyzing patterns, and automating some actions. Even, if, I don't know if you use Gmail. Another example is when you start to type uh, in Gmail and it's yes, uh, yeah. and it's learning uh, your phrasing, yeah. and it's suggesting like you know what you should say. That drives my wife crazy. She's turned it off. I <laughs> those kinds of so I I, I I don't like Siri. I don't like Alexa, and I'm not a technophobe in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But there's a lot of reasons why I don't like that, and they're not like in the house at all, right? But Me too. I, I don't have any of it's just, uh, Alexa or any of that Echo or. I agree. You know. I agree. But we, that's another topic for another for another podcast. <laughs> but it's funny. I left my Gmail auto like auto complete on, and it's gotten really good. Like yeah. to the point that it learns how I like like not just what I'm trying to say, but actually like my phrasing and how I sign off and like things that are like kind of quote unquote more unique to my tone of voice. Exactly, I've experienced the exact same thing. And I actually kind of like it. You know, I don't find it scary or creepy. Um, but on the other hand, the thing that concerns me is like, okay, so I, so I, what does that do to me in terms of my brain and my ability to write? Because now I'm like not exercising that part of my brain. Or is it really just saving me time and helping me be efficient? So that, you know, that's that other thing about like, what, like, will AI replace humans, hmm. you know? Or we, will we become cyborgs? Now we're, now we're really getting into the topic yeah. of, a different, <laughs> of, a different, of a different podcast. Let's change the episode and talk about cyborgs. Yeah. <laughs> so bringing it back from cyborgs, and you know how much I love science fiction, so this yes. is painful to me. Yes. Uh, bringing it back from cyborgs, um, it's been 10 years since the launch of your book. The network nonprofit. How have the networks evolved in this decade and how can we still leverage them? So um, that's a really great question. I always go back to uh, a quote that I read in Clay Shirky's book, which was published around the same time, Here Comes Everybody. And it's basically um, uh, the technology gets uh, 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 gets interesting when it becomes socially boring. 
so when it's been adopted at scale and it's become part of our lives. So, you know, back 10 years and people were saying, Facebook, it's going to be like air. <laughs> mm -hmm. And people went, oh, really? Mm -hmm. But think about it now, you know, and think about how much, how dependent we are and how it's kind of normalized. Mm -hmm. And that's when it becomes socially interesting. So I think networks ha have matured and they've had um, a, a lot more scaling. I think about like things like um, the, their ability to help Nonprofits scale generosity and giving, and how much that has really, like, it's it, it uh, gone forward in the last ten years. Like, um, and even like Giving Tuesday, and when it started in 2011, 2012, and, and what it is today, uh, or even things like that have started spontaneously. And of course, the big one that we all know is the a, you know ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Mm -hmm. But there's also been a lot of really smaller campaigns that have like taken off, or even looking at like you know, the success of GoFundMe campaigns mm -hmm. and the ability of, uh, of people to, you know, raise resources for themselves, which I don't, I don't think we could have imagined 10 years ago that this would happen. And actually, speaking of networks and Giving Tuesday, as you've said, you know that we've started a campaign, Reclaim Social, as a movement to encourage more people to make social media more inspiring. And it's exactly what you say, how the social platforms have really evolved through the years. So how would you think we can actually reclaim social and the idea of getting rid of the negativity and actually looking ahead for something more positive. So I, you know, we did, we did a session yesterday where we had a group of nonprofits come in and, yeah. and talk about the, how they're uh, participating in this amazing campaign. And just what, for me personally, was how can I turn to social and have it spark joy? Like it did 10 years ago. <laughs> um, like how do you spark community? How do you um, like, and, and to like, and it's just how you approach it. It's really a mindset. Um, change. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I um, I find Twitter really um, uh, like I love the community I've cultivated on Twitter. We talk about cy bringing it back to yeah, cyborgs and science fiction and, and all your science fiction and trust well, because, because exactly well because I I use my, my not my business not the business ones and they're obviously not lightful not social business media not IG or anything like that but our my personal Twitter ninety percent of it is like with my like personal like science fiction super geeky Star Trek and Star Wars community. So I actually find it, I find my Twitter feed really, for the most part, very joyful and like, and, and it's, but it's very much like a closed network that I, that I have cultivated. So I kind of, what you say like really resonates with me because I find it that if you do, if you do take the time to curate yeah. social, yeah. you can actually turn it into a place that can be very uplifting and very, especially right. Twitter, which because of the, yeah. the nature of the platform. Um, so it's interesting to hear you and say And even, that. well, Facebook, you know, sometimes we, we all trash on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Can we say that here? But um, because of like what's happened mm -hmm. and, you know, in terms of data privacy and all that. So there, and especially in the U.S., there is a kind of um, animosity towards uh, Facebook. I mm -hmm. don't know if that translates here. Yeah. Um, yes, definitely. Yeah, okay. But I will, I will go on Facebook and there are these amazing communities of mm -hmm. fountain pen enthusiasts. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that sparks a lot of joy for me when mm -hmm. I go on and just like, there's this something amazing happens when you can curate a community of people who are passionate about mm -hmm. something. Yeah. And that you have this common experience. You might not even know who they are in mm -hmm. real life. Mm -hmm. To me, that, that's like, the, that's the joy of social. But it's, it's always been the joy of social. But one, it's interesting because Facebook has had a pivot towards groups in the last yeah. year in particular. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, that, that it, for that very reason that you just said. Yeah. And I do think those groups can spark a lot of joy. 
And um, I, to me, it sparks most joy, I think, when it goes from the digital to the real world. Yeah. And you get to meet people that, like, you know, that you've been friends with, quote-unquote, or interacting with on Twitter yeah. for a long time around a particular thing that you love, like a Star Trek premiere, <laughs> or in your case, a, a, fountain. a, a fountain pen, you know. <laughs> con, like, I'm sure there's, a, there's, like, an equivalent of, like, fountain pen Comic-Cons, and so... There is. Yeah, They're yeah. called fountain pen shows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Beth, what's the question bringing it back, that you hear the most about digital in your trainings among nonprofits right now? What are people asking? What's that, what's that, what's that kind of common denominator? Uh, well, it kind of depends on what the top, you know, what area mm. and also the levels. Mm -hmm. So um, so the, the, the beginners, the smaller ones that are less developed, I, I do a lot of trainings around that and I, I, off, I hear so much about like, what platform should I be on yeah. or how can I save time or I'm kind of overwhelmed, where do I start? Um, so I hear a lot around that. If they're at the more sophisticated level, I'm hearing more like sophisticated questions about like Facebook advertising or, you know, should I be on TikTok <laughs> or uh, Instagram stories, you know, so it's more like going in depth about the content optimization for different channels and best practices. In your opinion, in the here and now, what are the best ways for nonprofits to build kind of their digital capacity? That's a, that's a great question. What I, I really think the most important thing is having a consistent practice and making it a habit. Mm. And so what happens when we, um, with a lot of nonprofits, it's not the, we rarely see 100% time of an employee mm -hmm. dedicated to social media, unless it's a very large organization or they have a lot of resources, right? Okay, so most of the time we have the midsize where maybe it's 10, um, 10 hour, 25% of their job, or maybe if we're lucky, 50%. Mm -hmm. And so they're juggling social, which is a big animal to wrestle, right? Yeah. And then all these other things. And nonprofits are really busy. And we know that it's, you know, hard when you're learning something new, you want it, you need to immerse and you need to practice it every day because it until it becomes a habit. Um, and before that, you're feeling this thing of cognitive overload because you 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 just you can't go into automatic pilot and just do it, mm -hmm. and and that's really stressful, mm -hmm. especially when you have all these other like things you have to do. So the natural inclination is to like just do the stuff you already know how to do because mm -hmm. it's easier. Mm -hmm. You don't have to like think as hard or it's not as stressful. So so what it is is that um, so the most important thing is to habit creation. Mm -hmm. And, and to be able to build it with good, and to create habits of good practice and, and the efficient workflow, you know, having a good strategy, having a content plan. And yeah. I know Teresa's written some terrific, uh, terrific blog posts. Terrific. 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 We coined a new word, terrific. Terrific. Yes. Yeah. Terrific blog posts about, um, uh, like the one you did for the nonprofit tech blog. Yeah. So, and, and so then it becomes second nature. And then they can build on that. And does that apply, do you think, to very small nonprofits as well? New startups, organizations that are looking to take their first step on their digital journeys? Yes, uh, yes. And not to be comprehensive about that. So for them, um, I, I subscribe to BJ Fogg's Tiny Habits, Okay. which is basically if you want to start a new habit, you have to start it small and you have to find a trigger in your routine to yeah. prompt that new habit. Yeah. And then you train the cycle. So I've applied that to when working with small organizations, take baby steps mm -hmm. and, and put the baby step into place, break it down mm -hmm. and practice that until it becomes second nature and then build on it. Because what we have is like, like you can't see me, but we're going here, we're going here, we're going here. Squirrel, oh, yeah. okay, and then we don't do it. Right. Yeah. 
And speaking of distractions, and as you've talked earlier about the new channels and all the trends that come up from time to time, how important is, do you think, for, let's say, a small nonprofit when they don't have much time and they sometimes feel overwhelmed, to actually keep up to date with the latest trends? Um, you know, that actually, when you uh, I go back to workshops, I feel <laughs> that's enough. How do I stay on top of all the digital trends? It always right? comes up as a question. Yes, it always does. And, and, and what I've recommended for years since that practice that I follow is that you, you find the people who are the experts. So we have, okay, so expertise is visualized as a T. So we have the T, the, the horizontal T going across, and then there's the vertical going deep. Mm. So we all have our areas where we go deep and mm. we know yeah. that stuff and mm. we're, we could go 10,000 leagues into it and we know every, we've read every book on it, we've read every blog post on it, we've, you know, we've been mm. doing this for years. We've re reached that 10,000 uh, hours of practice on that topic and that, and that area. But then there's this T that goes out and you're not quite as deep because nobody has the time for mm. that. So what I do is I, I, in those topics, I find that the person has gone deep or the collection of people mm -hmm. that have gone deep and they have they're doing the content curation and i follow them and develop relationships and ask them can and you, that's how i stay on top of things can you bring that to life a little bit give us an example of uh, the horizontal uh, the horizontal line on the t that where you feel like you're not you haven't gone deep on it but you follow x people give us the topic and who so i'm, I'm, I'm thinking of content curation robin good Right. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with mm -hmm. Robin Good, who's now in Portugal, he used to be in Italy. He was like kind of the world's, the invented the whole field of content curation. Mm -hmm. And I have followed, when I was wanting to learn about content curation, he is the person I followed. And then I, I picked a couple of other people that he would highlight. Mm -hmm. And I would just follow, focus on following their feeds mm -hmm. and their, their tracks in the snow, if you would, yeah. without having to build that from scratch. And that's how I learned to build up my expertise in that area. And I do that. And because, you know, with social media, there's so many things you need yeah. to know. And, um, there's always something new. Right. Yeah. Especially if you're a strategist, you can't go, you don't have time to go deep on everything. Mm -hmm. So you need to find the, find those um, people who are deep and just follow them and who they're pointing to. Um, and, and then have your areas of expertise. And I do that every year. One of, one of my rituals is to have my three words for the year. And those are three things that I follow and do and learn about every year. I was like, wait, what, what, what are they? What are the words? <laughs> okay, come on, you gotta tell us what the words are. Okay, you well, can't just teach uh, Well, the one thing I'm really obsessed with this year is is kind of how do we bring like participatory training techniques like you have mm. been exposed to face to face? How do we do this online? Mm. So how do we do design thinking workshops online? So I've been like, you know, I found people who are looking at that, talking about that, mm. that community around that, and then ways to practice that. Mm. Sounds really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait to see more. Next, next podcast. Today. Next podcast. <laughs> and going back a bit to the digital communications and the strategy, as you've mentioned earlier, what's one thing that you'd like to see changing, let's say, this year in the way nonprofits think and actually practice digital communications? Well, I think I've, I've said it before. I think I'd like to see a consistent practice mm -hmm. and a dedication to building the habit Yeah. Uh, versus doing it piecemeal yeah that's actually true and it's something that we all forget sometimes we just jump into something new and we don't really put the time as you say the effort right and it also includes um reflection around it we, and we don't make the time for that mm -hmm. to like sit back and say okay what did i learn how could i improve this um what is what is the challenge do i need to change direction 
but we're so busy going forward, 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 trying to tick those things off our to-do list. Uh, and I think the way that you really develop your expertise and develop your knowledge is to have, you know, is to be focused and then also have time for reflection. Yeah, excellent point. Uh, jumping to another book that you've read and I really enjoyed, The Happy Healthy Nonprofit. And we're talking about social media and how to keep up and how to manage not to be overwhelmed. But we know that it's sometimes a full-time job, even if it's not your full-time job, yes. to actually keep up with all the feeds. So what would be your advice for all the nonprofits who are probably stretched with time and they still want to be on social? How can they avoid the burnout in the end? Okay, so that's taking digital breaks. Um, and they don't have, and then I'm not talking about like doing, like going off and forgetting all of your online presence for six months yeah. and living like a monk um, and go to a space where there's no Wi-Fi. I mean, that'd be interesting, but I don't think you could survive in today's world in that kind of mode. So I think it's uh, the ability to weave small moments of mindfulness into your day. And the most important thing, according to research, is we go into our meetings back to back to back meetings. We're multitasking. We're starting in the morning and we're going straight through. We're not taking any kind of break. So being and your nervous system really can't handle that. And that's kind of part of what leads to some of the, the burnout and um, an illness. And one stat I'll give you from the, the literature on workplace burnout is that if you work more than 50 hours a week, beyond that, you're not getting any uh, productivity gains. So if you're working 80 hours a week, you're wasting 30 hours, really, when you really should be using that time to rest and revitalize and, uh, and rejuvenate. And you can do that with mini breaks throughout the day um, or even uh, having practices and rituals like, and we do this in California and I can get away with it. We start our meetings with a moment of meditation. Yeah. Yeah, you cannot get away with that here. There's no way. <laughs> oh, but, there is a, but there is a way to adapt that idea yeah. for other cultures. No, um, and that is like if you have a meeting where uh, you might give people five minutes to just read the <laughs> prep stuff right. before you start. Yeah. Really good idea. Or That's to do idea. quiet thinking rights. Yeah. Because you know? yeah. how many times have we like been, run into the meeting, we're late, five minutes late because the other meeting ran over, and we didn't have time to actually read the two or three pager coming in yeah. and we're hoping that we can like kind of get into speed in real time yeah it's a great idea yeah and i'm also curious now that we're talking about taking care of our own well-being and our digital selves to be more mindful how do you beth take care of your own digital well-being great question there's a couple <laughs> things i do um i have something i, I do called morning pages so before I turn on any electronics, I, I do uh, some journaling and writing. Oh, interesting. And it's in my, I, I do a, a thing called my to-do, to-done reflection notebook. So at the start of every year, I have those three words. I have, um, I write a list of goals of things that I want to accomplish. I send a let, email to myself, post-dated a year on futureme.org about what it's going to be like when I've accomplished these things. Mm. And then every morning I, I, I just uh, spend that time reflecting or maybe I'm, it's my time to learn. Mm. Um, I watch TED Talks or read stuff, reflect on it, and that, that time is sacred. I shouldn't be saying this on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> when you meet with me at this time, and it's like, I'm sorry, I, I have them already yeah. booked. They don't know it's a meeting with myself. Yeah. Um, but that it's feeding my brain and feeding myself. In fact, this morning I just saw this article. I saw the headline. I have to go back and read it. Um, uh, it was from Bill Gates that if you're not spending five hours a week learning, you're wasting yourself. Mm. So... Feed yourself before you feed others. And we need to do this, especially as you know, people who are consultants yeah. and building capacity of others. And I think, it, it, and, you know, I think of, I go to the same coffee shop every single morning and I have, even if sometimes anywhere between 10 and 10 minutes to 30 minutes, 
and it is even if I'm just like I know everybody, I literally everybody there. I know a lot of the a lot of the other customers, and it's my it's my equivalent of you writing, and it's like it's a way to like center myself and get ready for the day. And I'm sure a lot of us have yeah, yeah, those yeah. kind of those kinds of rituals. Right. I also walk in the morning too. Yeah. I walk throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I will because I'm lucky to work at home. Mm. So even if I just have to get up and walk around the block. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and that's that how I get fifteen thousand steps a day. Right. Because I have these little mini walking walkathons. <laughs> right. Amazing. Amazing. And that's done actually Beth with the long questions and answers on the future and the strategy and the tactics. <clears throat> and we're usually ending the podcast with the rapid fire finish. Okay. Which is pretty much some questions that Hopefully they don't require much thought. Okay. I just want to see your thoughts on that. And are you ready for that? Sure. Perfect. So what's your all-time favorite book? Uh, that was hard. Uh, <laughs> Give and Take by Adam Grant. Okay. Still fast. Yeah. Uh, what would you do if you weren't doing your current job? Oh, I would start a blog slash podcast slash community site for people who love fountain pens. And I would travel the world interviewing pen shop owners. I, I would go to every single pen store in Japan, the pen factories. Um, I, I, <laughs> I would test different inks and pens. I would like geek out. I would even learn, turn my own pens, make my own pens. I would like, <laughs> I would do something with pens. <laughs> it's never too late. Yeah. Who should be next on our podcast? Um, Janelle Shane. Uh, she writes a blog called AI Weirdness, and she just published a book, um, similar title. You are a thing. I think I love you, and it's really about. Um, it's, it's they're hilarious. They're you know it's a, how AI could go wrong. Great. Amazing. And last question: Who should we follow on social media for any reason? It could be your favorite fountain pen shop. Anyone you think. Well, f follow both of you, of course. I mean, we're also going to get your Star Trek. I know, exactly. And co coffee and Star Trek. That's right. really, yeah. Right, and of course, social media for, for both of you. And I would also add Shri, Shri Vissen, <laughs> who's in New York City, at Shri. And he's amazing, uh, amazing community builder on Twitter around social media. Amazing. You Perfect. Know, very responsive and engaged. I have, I have one more. Okay, going back to your fountain pen obsession. <laughs> what store, it, let's say money was no object and you had the time, and I said, Beth, I can beam you to any shop that you have not been to, any fountain, any pen shop in the world, which one is it and why? Okay, so <laughs> uh, first of all, I've, I've, never, I've only been through the airport in Tokyo, yeah. in Narita, but Tokyo is like the fountain pen capital of the world. Right. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the name of it, right. so I'm not going to bother to say it. Yeah. But in downtown Tokyo, there's supposed to be this like amazing stationery store, mm -hmm. and it's several levels. Yeah. And, <laughs> and in one place of it, they have like, a, you can bring your fountain pen, and you can fill it with different ink samples and test, test those. Mm -hmm. And then they have like, every single <laughs> imaginable pilot fountain pen yeah. or um, <laughs> this is totally geeky nope. you know that you can't get out you know yeah, out yeah. in the US <laughs> and you can actually test them and you can talk to other pen geeks around it and then the next level is all the paper yeah. and um, so this paper <laughs> this this is the, the kind of bullet journaling yeah. paper um, but there's all different sizes of it, yeah. um, and there's like the dots, and then, then there's the grid, and the different weights and the colors, and so that you can go there and you can test that with different fountain pens. Yeah. Like one of the, <laughs> this is getting too. No, geeky. this is amazing. This is my favorite <laughs> okay. thing we've talked okay, about. Okay, so one of my other things for self care, I didn't 
yeah. say this is that I every morning I have um, I have a writing box with the fountain pens that I've inked up yeah. and when I ink them up I uh, do a sample with a q-tip of the ink and I write the uh, the pen the detail about the pen and the de- you know what the ink is and then I rate them and, and the rating questions are like you know after what the pen is what the ink is um, uh, what is the flow you know how well does the ink flow is it scratchy is it like a needle or does it or is it flow perfectly yeah. or is it too juicy yeah. and what to, to what degree what is the look and feel of the pen so what does it look like um, and what are its visual characteristics and what does it feel like in your hand um, and then there's a whole then thing around the ink is it viscous is it shiny um, and, or, and about the shading right and how it compares to other like like all these different um, gradations of glue yeah. um, and and I have an ink journal <laughs> And then I also take a um, quote every, um, and I have another notebook where I then I write the quote ten times to practice. I'm practicing different calligraphies. Right. My my handwriting is really terrible. Right. And it was this goal to get it better. So every day it's getting better. That's amazing. <laughs> it's really cool. My, my, I don't know anything about fountain pens except for the fact that NASA in the '60s spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop a pen that astronauts could use in any direction in space. Right. The, and that cosmonauts use pencils, which I just think was just, it's just it's the only like like pen trivia I know, and I think it's amazing. It is. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been Thanks, phenomenal. Man. It was great. really great, and it was good to actually find all these things we didn't know about you. So that was perfect. Thanks. Now we know what to get you for Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> Next time Aaron goes to Japan, we'll put it in order. All right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks so much, Beth. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to listen to more inspiring guests. The Reclaim Social Podcast is produced by Lightful, a technology company for social good. We work with amazing charities and nonprofit organizations and believe that those doing the greatest good deserve the best technology. If you want to find out more, visit www.lightful.com or follow us across social media. Thanks for listening.